Well, howdy. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers here. Uh, the video said it, but I just wanted to mention again, thank you for everything that you do. Um, it is such an important thing, and I think it's, it's really important. Uh, we uh, are talking about work right now. We're talking, thank God it's Monday, is the series that we are going through. Um, and it's important for me to just hit, and I'll say it again, but uh, the work that, that mothers do is work that is included within what we're talking about, for sure. It's important work that is critical to the mission of God in this world. Um, and so thank you, moms, for, for what you do and for putting up with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, to my Aggies who are straggling around, welcome. Glad that you're still here. Uh, the town is great when you're not here, or there's less of you, because you can actually go to the restaurants. Chick-fil-A line is only halfway back to Kohl's. It's not all the way back there. Um, it's pretty cool. You can, uh, you can get around. Uh, and just as a public service announcement, you are allowed to sit in this wing. Um, it's just, if, if you're a visitor, that's where the, the Aggies typically sit, and they have now departed from us for a little while. So you're allowed to sit there if you're brave and are okay with people looking at you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, so if you were here, the, like I said, we're, we're going through this series on faith and work, not works-based faith, but what our faith has to say about our vocation, about what we do Monday through Saturday with the vast majority of our time, our productive labor. Um, like I said last week, we, we're starting big picture, trying to connect and understand what the story of God has to say about why we work and, and kind of how we figure out where our vocation fits into God's big plan. Um, and then this week we're drilling down just a little bit and we're going to look at kind of specifically the concepts of work and rest. Uh, but we're going back to that first chapter of Genesis to look and see how what God did informs what we are supposed to do. But before I hop into this week's text, I'd like to just, for those of you who missed or who only heard every third word that I said because I talk pretty fast, um, let me just take a few minutes and, and kind of lay some foundational concepts that we talked about last week. The first is that you and I are made in the image of God. That is a critical thing that we need to understand uh, because what that means is that Whenever we, can, whenever we act rightly as humans, we reflect God's nature and character. So when we're reading our Bibles and we see that God does this or, or we see something about what God is doing in the world, we can look at that and see that is how we are supposed to act. So God is a God of love, therefore we are supposed to love. God is God of justice, therefore we care about justice. We understand what's right and what's good based on what God does. And actually, in English, the word good is, a, is very closely connected with the word God. There's a reason why the words are connected together. And so the other aspect of the image of God that's really important is that the image, we as humans are exercising, we're the means by which God exercises authority on earth. So God establishes his rule and reign over creation um, through us. That was the intention from the start. Um, and then the last thing that I'd just like to reiterate is that when I say work, I do not just mean an 8 to 5 job or something that you have to fill out a timesheet and get paid for. I mean what we do with our time, the, the things that we do with our gifts, talent, and time in the service of others. So that includes a job, that absolutely includes your job, but it also includes parenting. 
And it also includes for you who have retired, who have left the working world, what you do with that gift of time that you have, that extra time, that is important. And so when we're talking about work, we're talking about what we do. So if you have a Bible, if you would just turn it to Genesis chapter 2, it's at the very beginning, pretty easy to find. Um, And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. That's going to be the only text that we're really dealing with, so you can kind of stay there. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished all of the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So what does it mean to rest? Uh, I learn, you know, we learn a lot about rest, and I think that one of the things about our culture is that we're a culture that's not very good at rest. We are a culture of doers. Uh, This week, I learned something about rest is that I have to rest. Um, I was sick for most of this week, and when you're sick, there are some times where you really are trying to do something. I knew I was getting up in front of all of you and didn't want to be unprepared, so I was trying to do all this preparation work, but I was actually in bed all day on Monday and for most of the day on Tuesday, and it was not fun, but I had to rest. It was a necessity for me to rest. I could not physically get out of bed because I didn't feel good. Um... But that can't be what Genesis chapter 2 is talking about because God is infinite and almighty. He does not run out of energy. God does not run out of time. Um, He is outside of time. Therefore, he doesn't need, and he's not constrained by food or sickness or anything like that. So when it says that God rested from what he was doing, we can't look at that like it's a necessary rest, like the necessary rest for us when we're sick. It's something different. God chose to rest, and that choice is significant for us. It teaches us two things, and I know that I'm a preacher, and so I'm supposed to come up with three, but I could only think of two, so you'll just have to bear with me here. And the first thing that it teaches us is that rest, or is it teaches us a necessary pattern for human flourishing, a pattern of work and rest. That's what God's actions in Genesis 1 and 2 teach us. And then the second thing that rest teaches us, the fact that God rested, is it teaches us how to guard against idolizing our work, turning our work into an idol. So that's the shape of our thoughts this morning. That's where we're headed. So this pattern of work and rest. Something that's really important to consider is the fact that six days God labored and worked, and one day God rested. Um, That is an important pattern that we humans are supposed to reflect as his image bearers. And we know that even further because if you turned your Bibles, you don't have to go here right now, but in Exodus chapter 20, um, that's where the Ten Commandments are given. And the third commandment is remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. But a lot of times when we read that commandment, we think about just the Sabbath part, just remembering to keep the Sabbath. But the text actually says, um, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall do all of your labor, and on the seventh day you will rest. For God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. That's Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. It's pretty close paraphrase there. Um, But the deal with that is that Exodus uses the logic of God's creation in order to inform why it's necessary for us to do to work for six days and rest for one. 
And so what does that kind of mean? For six days, we're going to be using, we are supposed to use our gifts, the gifts that God has given us, the talent that we have, the time that we have, the influence that we have, um, in order to serve others, to serve our community. And that might look like, like I said, in our jobs, in our retirement, and in our parenting. And then one day we are supposed to rest. That is the pattern that God is describing. And that rest does not just mean sleep. That means it's physical rest, but it's also leisure. It's enjoying the gifts of creation. Sometimes, I I don't know if it's like a Puritan influence or something, but it, it seems as if when we're thinking about holy and good things, we don't really think about fun things that we enjoy doing all the time. And that is absolutely incorrect. Because the fact is, is that God created all of the heavens and earth, the things that we enjoy and the things that we enjoy less, right? So it is absolutely a holy and good thing for you to take time and enjoy a good meal with your family, to enjoy um, a good round on the golf course, uh, enjoy things that the gifts that God has given us, that is, is holy, right, and good. Um, God made it for our good and, and enjoyment, so long as it sits in its proper place. And I'd like to say that this pattern of six days of working and one day of rest is, is not a hard and fast rule that I'm saying you must do six days of work and you must have one entire 24-hour day of rest. If we look at how Jesus dealt with the Sabbath commandment during his time um, on earth, he talked a whole lot about the Sabbath. And while he was talking about the Sabbath, he was often bringing common sense to the Sabbath commandment. Because at the time of Jesus, the Sabbath had become not a restful thing where people were able to enjoy God and the good gifts that he's given us. It had turned into a work in and of itself. You had to do a lot of work and think a lot in order to just actually follow the law. Um, and you weren't even allowed to do anything good on that day. If, someone had fa- if someone's beast had fallen down, you couldn't help it. Help, or beast, what am I saying? Sheep or something. You couldn't get it back up and, uh, and help them out. And so Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That, that we're supposed to approach this with somewhat of a, of a common sense um, attitude. But at the same time, Jesus did not just set aside the practice of Sabbath at all. He didn't say, don't do the Sabbath. He's saying, don't be an idiot. Like, don't, don't overthink this thing. And really kind of, he, he kind of w- was pulling us into viewing it rightly in its original intention. The cycle of work and rest, it's, it's not an arbitrary rule that God has given us in order to try to make sure, like a test to make sure we're following him or to bend us to his will. It's part of the fabric of reality. Uh, it's, it's part of how we humans are made. We are designed to work and rest. Without both, we will be out of balance. And this pattern that God's given us is a gift. One of the biggest things that traps we can fall into is is kind of this laborious keeping of God's commandments, which is so far from the gospel. Anytime God is commanding us to do something or teaching us about a pattern of how to live, it's a gift for us. He's never trying to take anything away from us. He's always drawing us into a life that we were intended to live. God made us. He designed us. He knows how we function. I think about this, you know, you think about the, this pattern of work and rest, and you can think about it as a restraint, but I think about it more as like the proper boundaries to which we, where we flourish. A fish is not very free if you take it out of water. It needs the constraint of water in order for it to actually live and thrive. Similarly, the pattern of work and rest that God gives us 
is not some, it's something that helps us to flourish. It is something that helps us to thrive. The Bible is clear that most of our life is intended for good work, um, for the usage of our gifts in service to others, but it is equally clear that regular rest is an essential part of how to be human, of how to live well, and failure to honor this pattern will lead us to problems. And, and the thing is, is that there's a pattern, right? There, there's the work side and there's the rest side. And there's danger on both ends. You can overwork and you can underwork. And so much about Christian discipleship is learning how to discern things well. Learning how to know yourself. To know which side of this pattern you will probably throw off balance. So there's two types of people in this room. Um, there are generally, obviously I'm generalizing, so I'm, I'm sure that some of you are perfect and actually have this pattern nailed down, and I'm really thankful for that. But most of us are going to either gravitate towards underwork or overwork. Um, and most people in American culture who gravitate towards underwork are going to actually pretend like they're overworkers because the fact is, is that American society values overworkers. Um, and, and so if you value... Uh, the, there's something really interesting about our culture that is, is incredibly, uh, we really like to be busy. We like to talk about how busy we are. We like to talk about how we're, we love to do work, work, work. Um, one of my favorite authors who wrote in the early 20th century, his name is G.K. Chesterton, and he said that the difference between an Englishman and an American is that an Englishman, if you talk to him for a while, he'll tell you about his hobbies, and an American, if you talk to him for a while, he'll tell you about his work. That, that, that there, this whole idea of we really, really like to, to work hard and define ourselves by our work, that's kind of one of those uh, aspects of our culture. And so if you are a person who is prone to overwork and you listen to me talking about the six days that we're supposed to work and think, yes, I'm nailing that, and then when I talk about stopping working and resting and you kind of tune out, that is bad. That is an incorrect way of listening to this sermon. Similarly, if you are an underworker and you listen to me talking about Sabbath rest and how important it is and how Netflix might be a part of that Sabbath rest and you ignore when I talk about the working hard part, that is also an incorrect way of listening to this sermon. So just know yourself. Think about you know, which pattern you're going to fall into. I'm an underworker. That is going to be my problem. Because, and that, it kind of leads me to this, I kind of, I want to be a better worker, but I tend towards procrastination and like, I'll do something that I want to do. And then I'm like, oh, no, I got to get this done. So, so I'll work hard and, and get it. But my tendency is going to be more towards the underworking side than the overworking side. Uh, that's just who I am. And so as I was preparing this sermon, you know, I, I know myself. So I'm asking, know yourself, understand which side you're going to fall into. So six days you shall work. Friends, if you underwork, if you give yourself over to comfort, uh, to just the things that make you happy and content, you will not be happy. It will not satisfy you for a very long time. One of the most pervasive and insidious lies of our culture is the lie that having everything your way, having comfort, recreation, luxury, and autonomy will lead to a good life. You were not designed for comfort. God did not make you so that you could gratify all of your desires and appetites and be healthy, wealthy, and well-fed. That is not what you were designed for. 
And I'm begging you, as a brother in Christ, don't fall victim to this lie. Because our culture loves telling that story. Just watch a car commercial. Watch any commercial. They're trying to sell you on this idea that if you just have these things, if you just live this lifestyle, then you will be satisfied. You will have the good life. Friends, we were designed to give ourselves away in service to others. And only in that self-giving will we find satisfaction. You can follow your financial plan to a T, max your 401k every year, and finish your working career with the benefits of continuous compounded interest. Then you can hit the golf course every day and retire and spend the rest of your day the rest of your days doing whatever it is you want to do, and you will eventually wind up miserable and unfulfilled because the appetite of self is insatiable. Six days you shall do your work. Six days you shall use the gift that God has given you in service of others, of your family, of this church, of your community. And guys, this is going to look different in different stages of life. Remember, Jesus brought that common sense to the Sabbath law. So the types of work are going to change based on the circumstances you find yourself in. If you are 80 and you've been serving faithfully in the Lord and you've been working all of your life and your body doesn't run like it did when it's 20, I am not saying that you are failing in your calling from God because you're not working 60 hours a week in manual labor. By no means am I saying that. But what I am saying is, is that you know your body. You know your heart. And all of the days of your life, you are called to serve others. That looks like showing up to grandkids' baseball games and band recitals. It looks like giving sound and loving advice and wisdom to your families and using your time and energy in ways of service to your community, church, and family. What I am saying is that you recent empty nesters who have all this new time on your hands that was spent with your kids, that not all that time is yours. That that time is going to be best spent if you give it away to others. If you find ways to bless your community in this church. That time ought to be used for the glory of God. To my fellow 20s and 30s and college kids and, and some of my younger friends who don't have kids, we have time that our brothers and sisters with kids just don't have. Um, I think that that's just pretty obvious. And we cannot spend all of that time on ourselves. This means maybe we put in a few extra hours to let some of our coworkers with kids have a night off. It means taking part in recess and family promise and babysitting for friends who have kids and some of the things that our church does to try to help out families. We have this time and we can use that as a gift and service to others. And here, I'm not even appealing to morality and sin. I'm just appealing to your fundamental design. You were made by God to serve others. And the only way that you will actually be happy and fulfilled is if you're doing that. When I was uh, about 18, my, my dad took my brother and I going pheasant hunting up in, up in Kansas. And they, the person who we were hunting on their property had this great pheasant dog. And that thing looked miserable all the time whenever it was in camp. It was just kind of sitting there and you weren't supposed to pet it. And I really felt bad because I wanted to pet the dog. But you weren't supposed to, so I didn't. But when that dog was in the field and it was hunting the pheasants and going back and forth, running through the field, looking for it, and it'd stop and point and do the whole thing, its tail was wagging, it was going off. It was clearly having the greatest time of its life. It was doing what it was designed to do. It got to be the most happy because it was doing what it was intended to do. It was doing what it was made for. 
And what I'm saying is, is that you and I were made to use the gifts that God's given us in service to others. And if we're not doing that, if we're shortchanging our work and we're just giving ourselves over to comfort and rest, we will not be happy. So to my overworkers, this is your time to listen up. We just finished the underwork. So overworkers, cue in here. Rest is not a necessary inconvenience. It is a critical aspect of living a fully human life. You are made in the image of God, and God rested. If God chooses to rest, and God does not need it, you need to rest. If you do not rest, you are not following the pattern established by God for human flourishing. And so pragmatically speaking, without rest, you will eventually break down. It's really amazing how much the human body can endure, how little sleep we can go through, how far we can run, all the various things. We, you can last for a long time not living in this pattern, but eventually you will break down. I, I finished May's business school in 2016, and I, I think we had maybe we, at least once a semester in all my classes, the work-life balance conversation came up, and, and there was a lot of business stuff, there was a lot of research going into the idea of how to keep your employees long-term and invest in them. Uh, and a lot of the business literature that was coming out was talking about having a good work-life balance, a necessary pattern and cycle of rest. Uh, and, and so in the business world, this is something that, is, that they are queuing in on, that it's a really important thing. And the same is true in the fitness world. If you read any um, publications about uh, you know, how to maintain a good body, rest is an essential part about that as well. So pragmatically speaking, just taking a day off is good for you. It is good for your work. You will eventually, you'll be a longer lasting and more productive worker if you learn how to take uh, take a day off, take consistent days off. But more than pragmatic benefits, rest is one of the absolute best guards against idolatry. We are creatures who are made to worship. It's one of those things that I can say universally, every single person worships. Now we all worship different things. When I say you worship, you worship that which is at the top of your priority list. So the thing that is most important to you, not the thing that you say is most important to you, but the thing that is actually most important to you is the thing that you worship. You will construct your life around it even if you're unaware of it. We are creatures made to worship. And the thing about worship is that idols are anything that is not God that we wind up worshiping. So that can be money. That can be success. That can be your image. That can be reputation. It can be work. Rarely are idols bad things. Almost always they are good things that become ultimate things. They are good things that are elevated beyond where they are intended to be. And work is a very good thing. We just finished talking about how good it is that you were designed to serve others. That's a good thing, but it's possible for us to make it into an ultimate thing. For us to make it into something that only God should be. That, to try to get something out of it that only God is supposed to give. We will be tempted to view our work as the thing that makes us matter, that sets us apart and makes us special. When work takes this position in our lives, it is almost impossible to rest. We will run ourselves ragged, invest our time and energy into our work, ultimately corrupting and destroying the work and making an idol out of it. 
Because the thing is, is when you make an idol, eventually it will destroy, you won't even get to enjoy the good thing out of that work. And you can, t- you can look at story after story of people who've destroyed their families, lives, reputations, and integrity, giving themselves over to the God of work. I think just right off the top of my head about the, the situation in Enron uh, it, back in 2000, that, that area. Both my parents are CPAs, which if you heard last week me kept going to that accounting thing, they were actually here, and so I kept looking at them, and I was like, oh, accounting, that was the only thing I was thinking of. But anyways, Enron... You have a whole bunch of people who are obsessed with work and who are obsessed with status and money and holding over to that, and they were willing to sacrifice anything, their reputation, their employees' lives, and all of that just in order to satisfy this aching in their heart of, because they found themselves desirable because of who they were in their company. Regular and intentional Sabbath rest guards us against this error. Each week that we put our work down, that we unplug from email and any other connection, We are proving to ourselves that our work does not define us, that our abilities, our gifts, and our capacity to make money, to help people, to make a difference, that that is not our primary identity, but that that, our primary identity rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the thing is, is that if you are a Christian, if you are someone who has embraced the gospel, you've admitted a couple of things. First, you have admitted that you cannot save yourself. That you are a person who is flawed and sinful, and nothing that you can do can fix the relationship, the mend between yourself and God. That is critical to the gospel, that we are flawed and sinful. And we freely admit as Christians that we cannot save ourselves. No matter how talented we are, how self-disciplined we become, we cannot overcome our selfishness and sin. But God, knowing this, incarnated himself into the story. That Jesus came and he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserve to die, making relationship with God possible for those who trust in his name. The gospel teaches us that the worst version of ourselves is the version that Christ died for, not the best. And we are more flawed and sinful than we'd ever dare admit, but we're more loved and accepted than we'd ever dare hope. That is your primary identity as a Christian. And if you are a Christian... If you've embraced the good news of Jesus Christ, this will transform your attitude towards work and enable you to view it rightly. We know that when we are, because we are fully accepted by Christ, we are fully and completely loved. We do not need to try and prove our worth to ourselves, our peers, our parents, and our friends through overwork. Something about having a sinful nature, something about being fallen, We want to justify ourselves. We want to find something that makes us special, that makes us unique, that makes us valuable. If you've ever seen the movie Rocky, it's a great movie that I'm not sure if it ages well, but I loved it. Uh, But anyways, Rocky gets himself pummeled by um, Apollo Creed, but, but he's obsessed in Rocky 1. He wants to go the distance. And at one point, whenever he's training, he's forcing himself, trying to get himself ready, um, someone, his, uh, his girlfriend asks him, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through all of this? And he says, I got to prove that I'm not a bum. That, that's that idea of I'm trying to justify myself. I have to do this. I have to work this job. I have to make this money. I need this promotion. I need to get this report done. I need to publish this paper because then if I get this thing done right, then I will be special. Then I will be set apart. Then something about me will matter, will have value. 
that's when you're making it an idol. And as Christians, we know that the yes has already been declared. We have already been accepted. The worst version of you was accepted by Jesus, and he went to the cross for that version of you. And so we can truly rest. We can stop trying to justify and vindicate ourselves through our work. We can stop trying to earn our way into salvation, into the good life, because we know that it's already been freely given to us by the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus' infinite love that led him to the cross purchased our salvation. And so our striving ceases, and we are not defined by our job, job title, our performance, or impact, not by our paycheck, or how awesome our kids are, or how plush our retirement account is. We are shaped by the infinite love of God displayed in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it means to be a Christian. So my overworkers, take a day off consistently. Learn to unplug. You've probably become an expert in explaining why you need to check email just one more time, or why you need to just be available in case someone at the office needs you. But I'm asking you, I'm telling you, prove to yourself that you are able to disconnect. Prove to yourself that work does not define you, that it's not an idol to your life. Practice Sabbath over and over and over again. It will be very difficult at first, right? Nothing, that, nothing in life worth anything comes easy. It'll be hard, but eventually you'll build this rhythm and it'll pull into a, a more, the, the pattern of life that you were intended to live. My fellow underworkers, God's pattern for work is for our good. Sometimes that good takes time to feel good. You don't actually get the benefit of, for instance, if anyone has played a musical instrument, you don't get to enjoy playing the piano until you have disciplined yourself and trained and practiced for hours and hours and hours. I've tried. I haven't practiced enough. It's not fun. I try to hit the keys and I do it wrong and it's really frustrating. But the thing is, is that if you discipline yourself, eventually you get to experience the joy of playing the piano, which is a joy that you don't get to experience without the hard work. In the same way, we will not enjoy the pattern of working six days a week if we're so used to comfort and filling our own appetites. And so what I'm saying is, is that stick with it. Learn to live into it. Practice working. Practice this pattern. And eventually we will get to enjoy the way that we were intended to live. We will get to feel the full satisfaction of living as God designed us because that is how we were made. And so we're going to sing a song here in a minute of reflection. And, and I ask that, that as we're singing this, that sing that's great. There's going to be some people around who, if you want to pray with them, you can. Um, but really think about who you are. Are you an overworker? Are you an underworker? And, and think about what, what does the gospel have to say about your identity? I hope you do that now as we stand and as we sing.